Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. So first we'll start looking at self-perception and self-concept. How do we know ourselves? Our sense of self includes a lot of information, some aspects of that, the roles we play, the information we get from others, and three, our gender, age, etc. Thinking about this concept in particular, think about all of the different aspects of you that make you yourself your gender, your age, your race, your religion, even um, more ethereal things like your style, the way you like to look and present yourself, what groups you belong to, are you an artist, are you an athlete, are you in a choir? And once you start to think about all of these different parts of yourself, you can think about how at times some of these parts will be activated or more at the front of your mind than at other times. So I think about when I was in college, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, and I lived in Koreatown in Los Angeles. I went to Azusa Pacific University as an undergraduate, which is a small Christian school in East LA, and for a time I lived in Koreatown, K-Town as we called it. So K-Town is primarily Korean and Hispanic, or Latino, uh, to the point where about 99% of the people you run into will be either ethnically Korean or ethnically Hispanic or Latino, primarily Mexican, but also Guatemalan, uh, Chilean, etc. So, in my days living in K-Town, I felt my uh, race, my uh, the fact that I'm Caucasian, was very heavily activated in a way that it wasn't necessarily when I was around the campus. The campus is probably 75-ish percent Caucasian, and so three out of four people you, you come across were Caucasian, so I didn't really think about it all that much. But then I found, after moving to K-Town, when I was in general the only Caucasian person in any given two or three block area when walking around, or the only person in a restaurant, or the only person in a coffee shop, etc. I found my race was heavily activated. In a similar way, when I moved to Japan, you would think that my race was heavily activated, and it was. Um, and again, another place where uh, being Caucasian or being white is very, very uncommon. Uh, so in some ways that that was activated a lot, but the thing that stuck out to me was feeling very tall in Japan. I'm only about, you know, a little over six feet, six feet and a half an inch, give or take. But I guess, so I looked up the average height in America for a Caucasian man's about 5'10", so I'm a little taller than that, but not really worth noticing. The average height for a Japanese man is about 5'7". So I was about five, five and a half inches taller than the average man, and the average woman in Japan about five two, so about ten, a little touch more, ten inches taller than the average person there. And the other thing that stuck out to me a lot was that things weren't made for people my size. So that is to say, doorways were lower, entering a subway was lower, the bars that you hold on to when riding the subway were lower, 
shirts and clothes in general were smaller, shoes were smaller. I couldn't really shop in a meaningful way because I, I couldn't find shirts that were long enough. So even though it was my, uh, my foreignness, my Caucasianness that stuck out a lot in Japan at some times, at other times it was just a feeling of being very tall. And so uh, these things can change. Your, whatever's activated in yourself can change from moment to moment, from place to place, by something somebody says, or taking a turn down a different block than you usually do. Um, and so this is something to keep in mind. You have all of these aspects of yourself, and they can be activated or, or uh, ignored at different times. So social psychologists maintain that the self is defined in relation to others, and we use different strategies towards establishing our self-concepts. And you'll find that as we go through the self in relation to others is something that we talk about a lot. So introspection seems non-social, but really is social. There's a lot of social comparison that's happening in introspection. And self-scheme is another good word to know, organizing ideas regarding ourselves. So self-perception and self-concept, how do we know ourselves? So as we talked about, others' judgments of us are a baseline for how we understand ourselves. And there are, there are neurological aspects of this. That is, there are things happening in the brain that we can watch or study or learn about um, that are affected by this. So, memory, agency, and capacity for self-reflection are three. And it's, you will, you'll, you'll remember that we talked about, uh, previously we talked about social psychology. We're not really going to get into the neuroscience, but it is good to know that these things that we are thinking about in a social psychological way can be thought about in a neurological way, that is, in a medical way, in a, uh, in a technical way that is looking precisely at brain chemistry and brain science. And then finally, social comparisons, they help us to understand ourselves by how we compare to others, and we're going to look at a couple of those presently. So an upward social comparison. There's also downward social comparisons. We're going to need to know both of these concepts. Upward social comparison is when we compare ourselves to others who seem socially better in some way to make ourselves look good because we are one of them, in quotes. Now this is something that you may be very familiar with. It's very common in high school, also pretty common in universities, that there are groups that you ascribe to and you compare yourself to others in these socially better groups as a way of making oneself look good. This is very important uh, to adolescents to be, to, and also to emerging adults. So it may be that you're at university and you're an athlete, you're a football player, you're a track star, etc. And you will think of yourself as a football player, or as a track star, as a cheerleader, or uh, as an actor or performer, or maybe you're in the praise team at a church, or some other group that has some amount of status. So these upward social comparisons are where you're comparing yourselves to others of a similar status. Now downward social comparisons, essentially the opposite, but trying to accomplish the same thing, which is seeking to enhance self-concept and self-esteem. Downward social comparisons 
is when we compare ourselves to others who seem less fortunate so we can feel better about ourselves. Now there are also ways of looking at this in a school setting where you may be, you know, the, the uh, stereotypical one might be the jocks versus the nerds or the, uh, the athletes versus the geeks. Um, I never thought about that one very much because I guess I was in the nerd or the geek group as a lot of people who end up as academics are. Um, another way to think about this and one that I think might be more helpful in the Christian setting is to think, I like to think about this in terms of something that Christians do in an unhealthy way when it regards sinfulness or sin. So you see somebody doing some sin or you know of somebody doing some sin and you can say well that's worse than what I do you know that person is using drugs and I'm only lying or boasting or doing some other thing that's not as bad so the downward social comparisons are something I have seen often in Christian culture and I think it's something important to keep in mind as a Christian and not fall into this type of negative social comparison. You do not make your sins smaller by comparing yourself to others who are doing things that are supposedly worse. So as I noted before, both strategies seek to enhance self-concept and self-esteem. So neuropsychological models of the self, we won't spend too much time on this, but you should know these two general models. First, the computational models, that is, self-knowledge is represented in specific events and behaviors involving the self. So, uh, the, the other model, which is different, is self-knowledge is a summary of your previous memories regarding behaviors involving the self. So in general terms, what you'll need to know is that the computational models are when you think of specific events and behaviors, and the abstraction models are more looking at a general picture, a summary of your previous memories. I like to think about this as an abstraction like abstract art. It kind of looks vaguely like something, but you have to look at the whole summary in order to understand what it is. So that's the computational versus the abstraction. So is our self-concept multifaceted? An interesting question about the self. Do we merely define who we are in our self-concept, or are there evaluative components in our self-concept? That is, are we just defining? Is it just strictly a definition? No value judgments? Or are there evaluative or value judgment components in our self-concept? So some research suggests that self-concept is multifaceted with both descriptive and evaluative components. Another research suggests that there are different systems that our self-concept comprises. Now, what I want you to know out of this is just these multiple parts of a concept. There is a definitional part that is strictly definitional, with no, without value, and then there is an evaluative or a, a, uh, a section that looks at the value of our self-concept. So three concepts below, and this is uh, one of the different systems that our self-concept comprises. The individual self, which is formed from personal experiences, the relational self, which is aspects of self shared in relation to others, and then the collective self, self-concepts derived from our larger group memberships. And you can look at those as 
the individual self being the individual in the middle, you can draw a circle around that person, and then you can look at the relational self, that is aspects of self that are shared in relationships, and then the collective self, you can draw an even larger circle around that individual, and you're looking at self-concepts derived from our larger group memberships. So the larger group memberships, being an American, being a Christian, being from Mississippi or from Massachusetts, for me being a New Englander, or for you maybe being a Southerner, um, these are the large group collectional self. And finally, are we always consciously aware of our self-concept? No. It varies depending on the situation. If you're trying to impress others, then you might be highly self-aware. Or if you're trying to gain social favor, you might be highly so self-aware. But if you're just going through your day, if you're in the gym, just jogging away on the treadmill, or you're just reading a book by yourself in a library, etc., you may not be thinking about yourself, your self-concept at all. But in certain situations, the first time you are applying for a job, or the first time you're going on a blind date, something where you're very aware of yourself, then you might be in these situations where you're trying to impress others and have this very highly self-aware self-concept.